This episode is sponsored by Northeast Ford and Catskill View Weddings. Hey, Mary, how's it going? It's going great. I'm looking forward to our guest today, who is... Ned Sullivan. He's our third Zoom interview. And Ned is someone that is a family friend. Um, but besides that, I am so honored to know Ned and all of his work for not just the Hudson Valley or the Northeast in general, but you know for the environment as a whole for on a global level. Uh, Ned's resume reads like OMG. You can check it out in the show notes, but Ned... To me, his dedication and love of the outdoors is something that resonates through from his childhood through all of his work career and um, through his credentials and all the topics and and issues that he has tackled with both being the head of Scenic Hudson today um, and his work just in general. I am interested in Ned's ability, and I'm hoping he'll talk about this, to get players to the table to accomplish some really amazing David and Goliath goals of uh, through Scenic Hudson. Yeah. So he's got a team of people, I imagine, working with him and, and accomplishing what he's accomplished. I'm also interested to find out about this Northeast Carbon Alliance, which is a consortium around the topic of climate change in this area. And it having to do with the land, wetland, forest, mm-hmm. farmland. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested in about that. And I'm also interested to hear about his uh, transition from banking to government to nonprofit executive. So he's going to have a lot to say to us, I have a feeling. There's so much to Ned, and I think that our listeners won't mind that we jump back and forth a little bit on this because everything is just so connected. Um, But overall, it's about the environment and Ned's dedication to it as well as the communities that he's working with and for uh, and you said bring you know people to the table, and that doesn't mean just organizations, the heads of them, but it means the local people who reside in the communities that he's trying to impact. So enjoy Ned Sullivan. Northeast Ford offers great sales and service, including a no-charge pickup and delivery for any service, even with oil changes. And they offer two-year unlimited oil changes with any vehicle purchase, new or pre-owned. Northeast Ford makes buying, selling, or trading in your car super easy. They have charging stations for your electric vehicle and a ready cash now offer and vehicle check on the spot if you wish to sell your vehicle. And they provide help with all the paperwork. They service six counties and they are located at 182 Route 44 Millerton, where you can swing by and see Lan and his great sales team. Or visit them online at www.northeastfordmillerton.com. Our next sponsor is someone that I have a personal connection with. Catskill View Weddings and Event is where I got married. Mary, you were one of our guests. I was one of your guests. And I have to tell you, you making your grand entrance on the crest of the hill um, during sunset was pretty dramatic. On horseback, too? On horseback. (laughs) And I nudged my husband and said, why didn't we do this? Well, it is uh, made some beautiful photos that are on the website that Catskill View uses. And there have been some other beautiful, beautiful weddings there. But the selling point is definitely the view. It is a 360 degree unobstructed view of the Catskill Mountain Range. uh, Looking sometimes you can see the Ashwilta Gunks down in New Paltz all the way up to Albany. But the sunset there is spectacular. And we were so lucky when we got married in October with the foliage and the sun. And almost all of our friends and family's profile pictures for the next six months uh, were with the sunset and the view. And to learn more, please visit 
www.catsgiveyouweddings.com. And by the way, Thorin is still married. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the uh, Mainstream Oxie, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Thorne. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we always start by is asking our guests to define Moxie and how they view it um, so that we can then kind of move on to your Moxie. Okay. Well, I think uh, my definition of Moxie is to dare greatly and to have the, the courage of your convictions to put yourself out there and make it happen. I like that. Make it happen. It seems to be a thread with a lot of our guests. I would like to read something that we actually had in Mainstream Magazine to start us off and start our listeners off to put in perspective why we asked you to come on the show here. And um, it has to go with your experience, uh, which is over 40 years uh, that started with the fisheries research for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. You develop marketing materials for liquor manu- manufacturing in the French Alps. You, gra- you have graduate degrees from both the Yale School of Management and the School of Forestry and Environmental Studies and master's in public. And I'll go on and on and on. You know, We'll put this in the show notes, but then you were in banking and now you are the head of Scenic Hudson. How have you found your moxie throughout your career, both from you know your education as well as in your professional career? Well, um, I my mind immediately goes to um, an expedition that I participated in, a, a 50-day expedition to climb what was then known as Mount McKinley. It's now known as Denali, the uh, highest mountain in North America. And um, we were, my teammates were just friends and colleagues, and uh, we didn't have a guide. It was more or less a a winter expedition. And uh, we skied 100 miles to the base of the mountain. We uh, had dog sleds, the dog sled taking our gear to base camp. And then we spent about a month moving our gear up the mountain and uh, attempting to make it to the summit. So, you know, that was an example of daring greatly and trying to make thing make it happen. <laughs> I'd and, say. Uh, it was uh, probably one of the greatest challenges of my life. And we made it to the high camp. We were a, a day hike away from the summit when one of the members of our team got pulmonary edema. Oh, dear. Uh, a potentially fatal uh, sickness from, from the altitude. And the moxie was to get him safely off, off the mountain. Right. We had to change the whole goal of our expedition from making that, that final attempt uh, on the summit to coming together and making sure that the safety of our friend and colleague and, and team member uh, was, was uh, protected and that, that we were able to get him off the mountain safely. And uh, we had a heck of an experience and, uh, <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, but um, it's setting that goal that, that maybe, maybe just beyond your capacity, your capabilities. Uh, mm. I think we would have made it if it hadn't been for uh, a member of our team getting getting sick. But uh, we were that we were that close. A, a simple day hike. Uh, we were in in a snow cave that we'd had to build because there were 150 mile an hour winds. And, oh my uh, gosh! Uh, but uh, I know we could have done it. But sometimes you have to change your goal 
mm-hmm. and then again show the same kind of moxie in achieving a different goal, getting everybody safely down the mountain. That became a new goal and we achieved that. I'm interested in in the natural world as as a tool to create moxie. I'm sure that you discovered a lot about yourself and about your friends uh, during that time, like strengths, weaknesses, who you could depend on for certain things and who you couldn't, what you could depend upon yourself for. And I'm wondering if, if you could talk a little bit about the power of the natural world to create that kind of thinking and acting in a person's life. Yeah, that's a great question, Mary. And um, <clears throat> my first engagement with the outdoors, the natural world was through an outward down, an outward bound type program uh, that I participated in in high school, first as, as a student and then as an, an instructor. And it was all about putting young people in challenging circumstance and helping guide them to emerge as as leaders and to work as team members. So whether it was a ropes course and getting everybody over a uh, a wall, you know, twelve foot wall, uh, or zip lines and uh, rappelling and whitewater canoeing and ultimately kayaking, all those things required each individual to look inside him or herself and to see what their strengths are and what, what scares them right. <laughs> when they're vulnerable and willing to rely on a, uh, a teammate member, a teammate, when they feel strong enough to lead, but also humble enough and uh, equally committed to a shared goal to uh, rely on somebody else. So those are the kinds of things that we did back in those days to get you to get people to young people to think about their their role in nature, but Mm -hmm. also their role as a member of a of a team. And I think those lessons have carried me through my entire uh, life and career. I could say that about being a waitress. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway. I've had a, I've had a lot I've had a lot of jobs a lot of different jobs in my life but that is not one of them so uh, <laughs> maybe it's not too late <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but uh, has that always been a theme if you will throughout your career certainly looking at your resume it seems that that collaboration spirit with uh, coworkers and other organizations as well as nature has always been in some way maybe um, well I guess in the banking you know part of your life too but ha- has that been a conscious decision uh, direction or has it just you know happened to be coming together like that it's been very conscious I, okay. I love the outdoors it's my cathedral my place where I feel closest to the spiritual world an opportunity to feel that power feel that inspiration mm-hmm. and that has in fact motivated and shaped my entire uh, professional career, as well as uh, how I spend my time when I'm not working, and that is out cross-country skiing or bicycling or uh, hiking in in nature, and uh, uh, either on my own or or with friends and colleagues. Mm. What have been some of your most, I guess, biggest challenges? Has it been uh, some of the challenges you have taken on with Scenic Hudson, or prior to that, with your work in Boston? Uh, cleaning up the harbor there? 
Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that I, I spent some time in, in banking. Yes. And I, I, I worked at Bank of Boston. And um, turns out that was something I, I never could have imagined myself doing. Mm. Of my love of the outdoors. And I, you know, I imagined myself, I, I went back to grad school and I thought uh, in forestry as well as management. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll be a, a backcountry ranger, which uh, I was earlier in my career. And, you know, that would be great. Living on the, you know, living in the wilderness and helping develop management plans for large areas, but but it turned out that I was able to really move the needle uh, working for Bank of Boston because early in my time in in public finance, uh, I was at I was asked by the president of the bank to help him develop a f- financial plan to clean up Boston Harbor. Oh wow! Boston Harbor was at the time, one of the most polluted harbors in the nation. Oh my goodness, what, what year was that? It was uh, 80, 82. Okay. Uh, and the, for some reason, Massachusetts hadn't gotten all the federal money that was available to states around the country and municipalities to build the, the sewage treatment capacity mm-hmm. and that would clean up a harbor like Boston Harbor. They were sued. And the a court master directed them to hire a financial advisor to develop mm-hmm. a financing plan to clean up uh, the harbor. And so that, that was a job that fell to me. Mm-hmm. And so it was very exciting to be in an organization like that and have the opportunity to work with the, the governor and the commissioner of finance and commissioner of the environment and to de- devise this plan that would enable uh, Boston to take the water and wastewater systems for, I think it was about 43 communities, including Mm. the city of Boston, create a whole new organization called the Massachusetts Water Resources Authority that would uh, then become responsible for cleaning up the harbor and ensuring uh, safe and clean uh, drinking water for for the entire Boston uh, metropolitan area, greater Boston. So wow. it was really, you know, just a wonderful early experience in, in my professional career that brought together my, my education in finance, but also in the natural world. And you brought those skills to bear at Scenic Hudson in, in an interview you did for Main Street. You talked about one of the skills that nonprofits are challenged by is having that financial and administrative piece to go along with the passion of the cause. And I think that's a really powerful combination when you can bring that those strengths to the table for a nonprofit like Scenic Hudson. So I'm interested in your, we're going to jump around a lot if that's okay, because we have a <laughs> lot of questions for you. You seem to have a model of Moxie that involves uh, high levels of collaboration with individuals and organizations and the government to achieve an end. And I'm wondering how you're able to enlist collaborators. I have this philosophy that you have to pitch things in a certain way where people can identify their self-interest somehow in what you're trying to do. And how do you go about trying to shape your arguments towards the different parties that you're trying to enlist help from? That's a great question, Mary. And I I will say, uh, you know, back to the kind of scenic cuts model where both 
of finance and understanding of the natural world are, are critical. And, uh, but I have to say, I, I rely on an incredibly capable staff of uh, people who are equally dedicated and, and bring to bear, uh, like my chief financial officer, Jason Caparisi, he brings to bear that knowledge of finance. And, and then uh, Seth McKee, who, who, who runs our land trust, he, you know, brings that knowledge of real estate transactions and, and uh, people who are working in our river cities uh, who are bringing that uh, knowledge to bear. So we're, we're, we've got uh, a lot of different folks who are doing great work. And uh, so that, that, and we all have that shared passion mm. for, for the work. And, and so within the organization, that spirit of, of uh, collaboration is, is uh, you know, equally important. I, I think you were trying to uh, talk about uh, outside the organization. And, and again, I think of uh, our, the head of our River Cities program, Zoraida Lopez Diago, and how <clears throat> she is working in, in uh, the cities of, of the Hudson Valley to bring together community members, uh, maybe the, the Dutchess County, in Poughkeepsie around the idea of creating an, an urban trail. Mm -hmm. And uh, Scenic Hudson actually purchased a former CSX uh, rail spur, a former railroad uh, track that runs through the city. And we had the idea of turning it into a rail trail through Ooh, the fun. north side, through the north side of uh, Poughkeepsie, which is one of the most economically challenged areas. Uh, areas that have been redlined in the past where people have not had access to uh, resources and business opportunities and home loans, uh, mortgages and everything. And we're trying to, trying to address that now. And mm -hmm. the idea is, okay, Scenic Hudson can bring the resources to secure, to buy that rail spur from CSX. But then we work with Dutchess County and Dutchess County actually takes ownership of it. And they take responsibility for build, making the improvements on the rail trail. But then we have to go to them and say, hey, this is great. This is gonna tie into walkway over the Hudson. Right. Uh, the beautiful uh, trail across the river on a former right. uh, railroad bridge. And uh, they're excited about that, but we wanna make sure that the, that the project is going to be welcoming to the neighborhoods through which it passes and that the people who don't don't have cars and uh, don't have a way to you know get to the grocery store uh, on safe safely and quickly you know so that they can get their fresh food and everything let's turn this into a a way for them to access those resources whether it's their school or a, a ball field or a community garden that we're also helping to create. So it's, it's a staff that shares a commitment and a passion, but then going out into the community, working with Dutchess County, working with the residents, how do we empower them mm -hmm. to be, you know, raise their voices to get what they would like? And, and our goal is always when we go into these communities, listen first, listen right. to what their, their goals are, and then how can we bring our 
so you to cut some capabilities to bear in achieving those goals. I'm interested in going back to your outward boundary experience when you talked about kind of immersing yourself or exposing yourself to what scares you. So fast forward to the Ned Sullivan of today. What, what scares you? Well, what really scares me is climate change, an issue that should scare everybody. Right. Because it is, uh, it's global. Uh, it's going to affect my daughter, my daughter's lives, our grandson uh, out on the West Coast. But it's here and now. It's the ice storm we just experienced. It's droughts. It's wildfires. All those things. But it doesn't seem to be. What scares me is that people are not responding. They are not recognizing that that the survival of the planet and of our communities and of our survival is at risk here. And so we are working at Cena Hudson to empower people and motivate people to work to protect the environment, to stop the carbon emissions and methane emissions that, that are driving this and even reverse them with uh, some of the strategies that we're working on. What are some of the things that you see? I mean, you guys work from Yonkers to Maine. You know, if we look at the trajectory of, you know, since at least you took on the cement plant that it could impact in Maine, um, what does Scenic Hudson see as an impact locally in the Hudson Valley region and beyond that is happening that has changed due to climate change? Just to put it, you know, really hammer it home for the citizens, at least, you know, for our listeners who live in the Hudson Valley and then who can resonate, you know, going further abroad with that. Well, there is, what, what are the things that are causing this that, that we can change or, or what? Are, Both. What, what are some of the effects that you see in, okay. in the Hudson Valley region that Scenic Hudson sees? And then what are some of the solutions that uh, we could all contribute to or that Hudson, Scenic Hudson is suggesting can happen or should happen? So uh, sea level is rising more rapidly than ever along the Hudson. We are having to design waterfront parks and trails for very significant increases in sea level rise. Storm surges are causing Mm -hmm. uh, significant damage. And so we're having to change the way we design our our parks. We're seeing the seasons change. My passion is cross-country skiing. And you can't can't rely on a good winter snowpack anymore whether you're a downhill skier or a cross-country skier, I'm having to go farther and farther afield to (laughs) find the beautiful trails that would uh, enable me to to enjoy that that winter sport. And it would be such an important part of the economy of of our region for the ski areas, for the hotels and inns and restaurants that support it. So, and the seasons are changing for the farmers. Yes. Uh, and maple sugar uh, tappers. So it's very hard to predict what's going to happen and the when there might be frost, when uh, harvest is going to be, how, how much, what kind of a mud season there's going to be. Uh, there might be multiple mud seasons now. So anyway, these are, these are things that are affecting people today. For a long time, environmentalists were were kind of accused of being chicken little, the sky is falling. And people said, oh, the environmental community was not successful at getting people to focus on climate change because they were were being hysterical. Well, 
the things that that uh, Al Gore shared with us in an inconvenient truth, they've all come true. So what we need to do now is implement the law that has been adopted in New York State, the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, that is helping us to make, make a shift to dramatically reduce carbon emissions and to shift to renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And so we are currently opposing a power plant that is proposed for the Newburgh waterfront mm-hmm. in Orange County. It's called Scammer. And it's a fossil fuel, fracked gas, and the it runs completely counter to the law that has been adopted that basically says we have to phase out power derived from, from fossil fuels. Right. So would we build a brand new one when we're looking to uh, phase phase it out? So we're opposing that, and we're we're very excited that Commissioner of the Department of Environmental Conservation, Basil Sagos denied the power plant a critical air permit that mm-hmm. was required before they could begin construction. Oh, wow. So uh, the, app, the promoters of the project are appealing that, and we will be working side by side with New York State to defend the decision to deny that air permit because it was, uh, it was denied because the plant cannot comply with this, climate, this new climate law that is now in, in effect. So that's just one, one example of things that we can do, but there are other things, particularly in, in the realm of, of agriculture. Farming, conventional farming releases greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So it's a driver of climate change. But if the practices are modified, then farming can actually take carbon out of the atmosphere and fix it in the soil and in the roots and reverse climate change. Is that the regenerative agriculture? Exactly, yes. Is regenerative mean that it stores carbon or it replenishes the soil as it goes along? What, what does that mean? Yes, both, yes to both those. Oh, okay, <laughs> yay! <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so this is, these are practices that, um, that uh, fix the carbon in the soil, sequester it there, mm-hmm. and make, make the soil healthier. So it, it has the additional advantage, in addition to being a, a deterrent to climate change, it, it makes the soils more productive, healthier, healthier, and the science indicates it will make the yields greater. So mm-hmm. hopefully farming will be more productive and uh, more, more profitable. We, we want our farmers to survive and thrive. Yes. And so we're now working with the soil, water, soil and Water Conservation Districts, the New York State Department of Agriculture, and uh, Governor Hochul has recently signed soil health legislation. Oh, wow. That is going to strengthen the state's programs that support farmers uh, that are, are implementing these practices. And you also work with wetlands and forests in that regard. I spent a year and a half working at Great Mountain Forest in in Norfolk and um, got schooled quite quickly in in (laughs) the work that wetlands do and that trees do in in our environment. And I'm wondering what what kind of work you're doing in those realms. Well, we've created an organization, Mary. It's it's actually the... um, within Scenic Hudson, but uh, involves 
organizations from all over the Northeast. It's called the Northeast Carbon Alliance. And the purpose is to share information and advance the implementation of regenerative practices from mountaintop to ocean floor. And forests and wetlands both play a very important role in that. Uh, trees and roots play, uh, of their roots play a very important role in sequestering carbon. And we're looking at what are the management what are the forestry practices that will have the greatest impact on, on sequestering uh, carbon? And the wetlands, coastal wetlands and others, they play a very, very important role in sequestering carbon and methane. And so how do we make sure that they, um, they're managed in a way and protected mm-hmm. so that they're, um, the benefits to a healthy climate are, are realized? They also help with biodiversity and at least along the shores, and correct me if I'm wrong, that those kinds of wetlands can be a buffer for those coastal areas with erosion and, and other uh, filtering water that might not be clean. It helps with that filtration. Is I don't know how we can ignore this stuff anymore. So I'm really excited to learn about these activities of Scenic Hudson. Because uh, there's because they're of personal interest to me. Well, thanks, Mary. So, yeah, <laughs> not that you needed yeah. my endorsement. <laughs> we'll take it. We appreciate it. Uh, okay. <laughs> can I just ask a maybe a naive question? Um, when you were talking about the regeneration and how putting basically back into the soil and that it's a more profitable way to farm, why isn't everyone doing that? All the farmers doing that? If it's not just better for the, let's just tick off the marks here. It's better for the environment. It's better for the soil. It's better for crops, more crops. It's more profitable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So why isn't everyone doing that? Well, because farming has been practiced in traditional ways for generations Mm -hmm. and the practices are, are passed down from one generation uh, to another in many, many cases. Right. And farmers, I think, learn best from other farmers. Yes. Whether it's it's parents or somebody else in in their in, in their community. So what are what we're calling regenerative practices were actually practiced uh, by indigenous people and by African American farmers. And those obviously have been interrupted and big ag has come in and pesticides and chemicals and other practices that are supported by agriculture industry. So what's needed now is both education and good scientific backing, demonstrating that all the benefits that I'm talking about are, are real. Right. And that's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. So demonstrating that the science is there and that it's going to be more uh, beneficial to both the environment and to the bottom line, that is all a work in, in progress. It's been demonstrated in many different contexts, but it has to be documented and shared in a way that, that the farmers can have the time to hear it because right. it is, and they hear it from somebody that they trust. And uh, so that is part, part of the challenge. I see. And that's why we've created this Northeast Carbon Alliance that includes uh, many of the research farms in the Hudson Valley mm-hmm. and in, in New Jersey and Massachusetts, some of the leading scientific organizations in the world, like the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute and the Marine Biological Laboratory, the Cary Institute, 
as well as forest managers and wetland managers. Uh, so those are all among our partners and mm -hmm. where we can have that kind of uh, open exchange dialogue, bringing people who are on the cutting edge of, of actually implementing these uh, approaches. So I want to steer a little bit back to Moxie. And you seem like the David to the Goliaths, you and your team, you know, you're, you're going up against some big forces, whether it's government or companies. How, how do you, um, how do you keep believing that or start believing that you can go up against people or organizations bigger than you and through careful research and as your I think your one of your founders said care enough to take action do your research so you don't have to backtrack from a position and don't give up so how do you keep convincing yourself of that have you ever had a loss that's kind of really knock the wind out of you or how do you just keep that going? Well, that's a great, great question, Mary. And that was, uh, you're quoting Franny Reese, who's one of our founders and uh, who led the organization through its seminal environmental battle of protecting Storm King Mountain from Con Edison that wanted to build a power plant on the Northern face of it. So Storm King is a beautiful mountain in the Hudson Highlands, and um, that uh, they wanted to build a, a pump storage facility there. And our founders said that's a bad idea. They sued and they spent 17 years. Oh, wow. Uh, beating back the project and uh, trying to make sure that it would never happen. Uh, wow. In the process, they won a very important legal decision called the, the scenic Hudson decision uh, in, in the law books. That established the principle that citizens have a voice in government decisions affecting the environment. They have standing, be in court, to be in a public hearing. So every time you and I stand up in a public hearing or write a letter saying we're in favor of something or opposed to, to some kind of major development that traces its origins and its legal basis back to the scenic Hudson decision that Franny Reese help to, uh, to secure. So I think that is now part of the foundation and the tradition and the culture of Scenic Hudson. Got it. Right from the start, we were standing up to, up to giants. And in the meantime, you know, we've stood up to St. Lawrence Cement, a major international cement company. We've stood up to General Electric. We've stood up over and over again, and we're not worried by the fact that the company is large or has tremendous resources because what we have is the power of the law, mm -hmm. power of collaboration. And this going, going back to a question Mary asked, we know that together, Scenic Hudson with Riverkeeper and Clearwater and Natural Resources Defense Council and the Sierra Club and other organizations and Scenic Hudson Land Trust with the Columbia Land Conservancy and Duchess Land Conservancy and the Hudson Highlands Land Conservancy, we're all much more powerful together and can achieve so much more if we collaborate. And so yes. we're committed to that collaboration. We're committed to the power of uh, many. And, you know, that power goes back to the citizens. Right. You know, Hudson democratized the environmental movement. And so we all, we all have to stand together and fight to ensure that any threats to our democracy and our democratic principles and institutions 
is countered and that is part of Sinekutsen's mission and uh, moxie. Right, and it's in its DNA. Yeah, it's in our DNA. It's in our DNA and it's also very much motivating our, our work to ensure that when we think about the people of the Hudson Valley, we're thinking about all the people, that we are embracing the, the tremendous diversity that exists here in the Hudson Valley, people of all colors, people of all age, people of all uh, ethnic background and race and uh, gender. We're all in this together. And you know, so when you talk about what scares me the most and that's climate change, well, we've all got to be in this together. We've all got right. to unite and, and do what we can to stand up to that, to that great threat and to figure out what we can all do to, uh, to address it together. So just to wrap up the conversation, what advice would you give to a person who's trying to have their voice heard? What small steps could they take? Because you didn't get to where you were in, as a person or as a scenic Hudson, as an organization in just one giant leap. So what small steps could someone take to build their own moxie, to self-advocate or advocate for something that they're curious or passionate about? What I, what I would say is first, choose your cause and choose your cause, be thoughtful, identify something that really matters uh, to you and your family and your, your community, and then step into the arena. Teddy Roosevelt said, uh, it, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man, or I would add the woman, who is actually in the arena. Mm. And that's what I believe. Get in the arena. You may err. You may come up short because there is no undertaking without error or shortcoming. But get out there and strive valiantly and make it happen. And then look around, who are your natural allies in the arena? Mm -hmm. Bring them together. And then as Franny Reese, our our founder said, do your your research, do your homework, so you don't have to back, get it right, get your facts right, so that you don't have to backtrack. And then don't give up, don't give up, never, 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 never give up. Well, it sounds like you sure don't, or any of your team or your collaborators, so outstanding. So thank you. Thank you so much. Now, one question, as uh, maybe it's the best way to end it. If there, if anyone would like to help, what would be the best way to help you and Cena Hudson and the efforts as well as your collaborators? You know, what is someone, your average citizen, you know, what can we do to help? Well, thank you, Thorne. That's a great, great question. And, and probably the easiest thing is just to go to our website and which is of course, scenicutson.org and uh, sign up and uh, which is easy to do. You just uh, go to our website and, and uh, you can sign up to get action alerts, you know, follow the campaigns and the causes that we are, are pursuing and uh, uh, look for the opportunities to, to get involved. There are gonna be public hearings on Dan Scammer. There are gatherings on regenerative agriculture through the mm-hmm. Northeast Carbon Alliance. And, and we have a website for the Northeast Carbon Alliance. So people can uh, go to that website. It's northeastcarbonalliance.org and learn about what's going on in, in all these realms and join us in the arena. 
exactly. people can also help us financially by making contributions and that's easily done through our website as well we um we have to raise a significant budget every year both to fight fight the battles that we're fighting but also to buy the land and create the parks yes. uh, and preserve the working farms and to help them make the transition to regenerative practices that uh, are going to help us all tackle climate change and the other threats to to the valley and our, our our region and planet well we'll have all that information in our show notes to go along with this podcast to make sure everyone can click right through wonderful well thank you very much this has really been fun and interesting and i Appreciate both of you, Mary and Thorin, and uh, what you're doing. And uh, we're just total fans of Main Street Magazine. <laughs> and and uh, now Main Street Moxie. Main Street Moxie, right. And uh, you uh, wrote a beautiful. Ned, this has been so much fun. It's been nice to see you, even though it's through a computer, and uh, talk about these efforts. And I know we only scratched the surface, but I hope that our listeners you know, get a glimpse into Scenic Hudson and you and all your efforts. Um, that you worked your career and your life for. And uh, I hope that, you know, they get inspired to help make a difference. Thank you, Thorin. Thank you, Mary. Pleasure to meet you. And this you has been really, really fun. Thank you. So Mary, Ned's interview is very interesting. There are so many parts to it. And some of these are like super heavy topics. I don't know how he crammed so much into his career from ranging from the private sector and banking to government roles to now leading and growing scenic Hudson and, and taking on the, the powers that be. It's incredible. Well, I just like his work at, uh, in Boston, cleaning up Boston Harbor. I mean, where to me, I'm just like, my mind is blown yeah. because where do you start? And I wonder if he found any tea. all right I had to say that all right but with Ned um my biggest takeaway was his Alaskan adventure story because to me it symbolizes so much of what Ned is about um you know his love of the environment uh working with the environment but working as a team and pivoting and not being afraid that when something happens you have to adjust yes yeah that was that was a compelling story and I the part of that that I really enjoyed and, and something that I've learned over time is the power of nature as a mm-hmm. teacher. For sure. And Ned seemed like he really learned, as he said, he carried lessons from, from that trip through forward through his life. And I think it fuels the passion that he has mm-hmm. for the yep. environment and the passion his team at Scenic Hudson have. And then being able to bring so many diverse players to the table mm-hmm working in communities and making sure that community members have a say in in the improvements or or the work that's going on in their communities i think that's that is real collaboration just include inclusivity portion that's a word for you you know portion of his work and, and just work ethos and mentality you know was really eye-opening and i hope that our listeners feel that you know besides the messaging obviously and the importance of the environment that every one of us can make a difference and there's a way to help and we should all be thinking of the environment in a different way and how we can improve it. Um, so I think for me, the biggest takeaway, I mean, the environment is something I've always been passionate about, but hearing Ned say that that's his biggest worry. And I mean, he wakes up every day working to better the environment to try to help it. And I think we should too. So I think we should all take that lesson away from this, hopefully. And I think hopeful is a good word because I think without hope, Ned wouldn't be able to do the work that he does, nor would his team or the people he collaborates with. So 
I found that to be inspirational that he keeps getting back there every day along with his coworkers to make things happen. Yeah. And so. I hope our listeners, you know, want to do something. So in that case, head to our show notes. You can find all the links there that we talked about in this episode to Cena Cutson and the other organizations. And uh, we hope that, you know, we're going to try to do our part and we hope you will too. Amen. This episode is sponsored by Northeast Ford and Catskill View Weddings.